Welcome to the Faith Broadcast. I'm so glad that you're watching today's message. I believe it'll be a blessing to you. I believe it'll encourage you, it'll strengthen you, and empower you to make Jesus famous in your everyday life. Enjoy today's message, and I'll see you at the end of the broadcast. chapter 2, verse 36. Now, providing the context, this is on Pentecost Sunday. You know, we celebrated that last Sunday where the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And we know what happened. There's 120 gathered in the upper room. And as they're gathered, as they're praying, the Holy Spirit himself is poured out upon them. And the 120, which includes the 11 apostles and the newest chosen apostle, Mary, Jesus' brothers, his family, all these other believers were in the room, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to spoke, speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance, the Scripture says. And as they were doing that, the noise and everything going on in that room caused a crowd to gather. And the crowd that gathered was very diverse because it was festival time in Jerusalem, and people had came from all over the known world to celebrate this festival. And as they were there, the Holy Ghost began to move in such a way in signs and wonders where everybody heard the praises from that upper room, and they heard it in their own language. There's so many supernatural things going on at one moment. Think about this. 120 people are in one room. There are thousands of people outside, and every single one of them hears something. Think about the amplification that takes to speak to a crowd of thousands with no microphones. And the 120 weren't talking to them. They were in one room filled with the Holy Ghost, praising God and acting in such a way that they looked drunk. Well, how do you know that? It says, these people are full of new wine. Now, when Peter got up to begin his sermon, he says, we can't be drunk. It's only 9 a.m. That meant something back then. It means nothing today. <laughs> and so he's saying, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Because what happened is the Holy Spirit was poured out. You have the supernatural amplification, and then everybody hears the goodness of God, the praises of God in their own language. Supernatural things are going on. And Peter begins to preach, quoting from the Old Testament, the prophet Joel. And then he begins to preach about Jesus. And then he quotes the book of Psalms. And then he gets to verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord, that means supreme authority, and Christ, that means the Messiah, the anointed one. Now, when we think about reading this verse, we read it from the perspective of 2,000 years later, right? It wasn't 2,000 years later for them. It was current events. This is the day of Pentecost which means 50 days before that, that was the day Jesus was raised from the dead. A little bit less than 50 days. So this is less than two months. Everybody knew about him. Everybody knew he was crucified. Only 500 or so knew that he was raised from the dead. But everybody knew the current event, and we're talking about the current event. Jesus was crucified. But what is Peter preaching? God raised him from the dead. And then you read the sermon, it says he ascended to heaven, and God gave him the gift of the Spirit, and this Jesus poured out that gift today. 
And now when they heard this, it says in verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what do we do? All right, so what do we do now? And notice what it says next. Then Peter said to them, repent, which means to change your mind and change your direction. And let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I know there's a lot of debate in different denominations. What is the gift of the Holy Spirit? By context, it's very clear what the gift of the Holy Spirit is in Acts chapter 2. It's receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the Bible evidence speaking of the tongues. That's what that crowd wanted. And so as it goes on, he says, for this promise, what promise? The promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit is to you and to your children and to all who are far off. Afar off means not just those who are far away. It can also be translated as the Gentiles, those who are not of Jewish descent and background. And as many as the Lord our God will call. And now so that, you might really look at the last 20 verses or so, that's a pretty decent sermon so good. But Peter didn't end there. We like to end, well, that's what Peter said. No, Peter kept preaching. It says in one translation, he talked for a long time. He testified with many words and exhorted with many words, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. So how the Holy Spirit summarizes through Luke, the writer, the rest of Peter's message, be saved from this generation. Another translation is save yourselves from this generation. Yet another translation says, escape it. Another translation says, get out of this sick and stupid culture while you still can. Now think about this way, think about this way, Pastor Kurt, think about this. So when we preach this, and we should preach this way, we talk about hell, right? Hell is real, hell is a danger, you don't wanna go there. But he didn't say, save yourself from hell even though that's included, right? We know that's included, right? He didn't even say, save yourself from wrath, even though that, we know that's included, right? Peter didn't say, save yourself from hell. He said, save yourself from this generation. And the word he used in the King James is untoward, but the word here in the New King James is perverse. This word perverse means crooked, warped, marked by trouble and unhappiness, unjust. This word means crooked, warped, marked by trouble and unhappiness, unjust. And this word generation, yes, means age, it means culture. It's the way a group of people live in a certain period of time. Save yourselves from this perverse generation. Now, why does that matter? We read through the book of Proverbs last month, and Proverbs 30, 11 through 14 says it this way. There is a generation that curses its father and does not bless its mother. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes, yet is not washed from its filthiness. Think about it this way. Come on, if you had any kids that come from playing outside, and when they come inside, they smell, we like to use the phrase, earthy. They say, you need to shower, you need to wash up before dinner because you smell earthly. Now, the kid's like, I don't smell, you know. It's not that bad. I don't need to wash up, but you standing there inside the house like, yes, you do. Soap and water and deodorant. But Proverbs says there's a generation that stinks and said, I'm clean. 
There is a generation, oh, how lofty are their eyes and their eyelids are lifted up. They're proud. They're stuck up. There's a generation whose teeth are like swords, whose fangs are like knives to devour the poor from off the earth and the needy from among men. Save yourself from this generation. Proverbs 14, 12 says this way. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. There's a path, there's a way of living that seems right. And if you ask them about it, they would swear to you up and down. This is the right way to live. They would champion on every news channel. Now, all culture, this is the way you're supposed to live. It seems right, because if they thought it was wrong, they wouldn't do it. It's, this is the right way to live. And the scripture says in Proverbs this verse, and then it says it the same way another time in the book of Proverbs, that there is a way that seems right, but the end of the road is death. What is that, being deceived? Because if you're deceived, you think what you're doing is right. It's not just being hard-headed, you're going the wrong way, and you know it's wrong. It's about you going a way you think is right, but you got a surprise at the end of the road. At the end of the road is not what you thought was there. Save yourself from this generation. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Let's look what Peter said a couple decades later in his epistle. 2 Peter chapter 1. Save yourself from this perverse generation. Be saved from this perverse generation. Escape this generation. Get out of it while you still can. Come on, some of you still freaked out by the movie, get out. And Peter says, get out of this generation. Because there is a sunken place, and this generation is full of it. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace, say grace and peace, be multiplied unto you. So let's let you know whatever level of grace and peace you got now, there's more. But because these are such spiritual words, let's break them down. Because we say grace, well, that's what you pray before you eat. Right? Well, that's included, but that's not the main definition. Grace is a given of thanks, so you can't say grace and have one of the scriptural definitions of the word grace. But the word grace has 19 to 21 different definitions in the New Testament alone. And the main definition is not what you pray before you eat fried chicken. Here are some of the definitions. It means gift, favor, divine influence upon the heart, spiritual gifts, the anointing, benefit, the power of God, graciousness, and what is acceptable. Those are just some of the definitions. And that grace can be multiplied to you. So, well, what happens when I have that grace? Put it in, how does that affect me? That's spiritual, but how does it affect my natural? Don't look at me so holy. You know you want something to affect your natural. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always have all sufficiency, and all things may have an abundance for every good work. 
that all grace abounding or overflowing to you causes you to always have enough. Notice it's not an asterisk on it. You'll have enough as long as gas is under $2 a gallon. You'll have enough as long as this person is in the White House. You'll have enough as long as Wall Street does this. You'll have enough as long as crypto does this. No. With an abundance and overflow of grace, you will always have enough. And not just enough for you, but enough where you can overflow to every good work. Grace is taking you to a place where you're always able to give. Not in a place where I want to give, I would like to give, but I got nothing to give. Grace is taking you to a place where you always have enough for you, your for, but also enough for plenty of more. Grace affecting your natural life. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says it this way. And Paul said, and Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my weaknesses or my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Grace here in this verse is defined as the power of the anointing. It's the power of God. And so Paul's going through a lot. When you read the previous chapter, he's going through a lot. And he knows it's because of the demon that was assigned by Satan to get him to stop his effectiveness. And so Paul has prayed three times, God, get it off me. God, get it away from me. God, stop this. Three different times, and God says, nothing. And on the last time, what does God say? My grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. My grace is enough to ward it off. My grace is enough to defend you. My grace is enough to handle it. So when God tells Paul, my grace is enough, what he said, I'm going to boast. I'm going to think well of. I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to praise. Why am I going to do that? Because as I praise, that grace will come on me that's enough to handle the situation. So I don't know what you're facing, what you're going through, what's challenging you, what's in front of you, what you're dealing with because of these times, but the grace of God that comes upon you will be enough to handle it, ward it off, and give you the victory. The grace is enough. Say, the grace is enough. But then the scripture says in James, he gives more grace. And that grace can be multiplied to you. So I need more grace for today. Guess what? It can be multiplied. He gives more grace, and he multiplies it. But we haven't even got to peace yet. Come on, we all can say we need a little bit more peace. But let me give you a biblical definition for this word peace here. This word peace is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew word shalom, where there's nothing missing, nothing broken. It's wholeness, the peace that comes from being whole. This word also means quietness, prosperity, and rest. Anybody needs some more quietness in your life, some more rest in your life, some more peace in your life, some more prosperity in your life, some more wholeness. Guess what? It can be multiplied to you. I don't know about you, but I want to read the rest of this verse because this is just the opening statement. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. It's multiplied through the knowledge of God. Now, this is not just mental knowledge. This word is knowledge just means exact, complete, and full knowledge. This is not mental ascent. This is revelation. 
This is the knowledge and understanding you get as you put in practice what you've been taught. It's the knowledge and understanding that comes from knowing him, not just knowing about him. There's a lot of people that know about him and can quote scriptures, but that doesn't necessarily mean they know him. There's a way people, when people know him, there's a difference to how they talk. There's a weightiness to what they carry. Because they know him, when they talk about him, him walks in. Because they know him. Grace and peace are multiplied through, through that knowledge of him, that knowing of him, that complete, full, exact knowledge of him. Notice what says next. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Notice hath given, or he gave it in the past. Now Peter is writing this almost 2,000 years ago. And he said it was, he did it already. This is 2,000 years later. It's still done. God has given you everything that pertains to this life. Everything you need in this life is already yours. Doesn't it say in Scripture, all things are yours? Didn't he say you're an heir of God? and the whole world belongs to you? God has given you everything you need in this life. So let us sink in. Everything, all things. Because what's left after all? Nothing. All things. The natural things, the spiritual things, the mental things, the financial things. Everything you need where life is concerned, God has all Ready, given it to you. It's yours. Say, it's mine. Come on, put it in the chat. Say, it's mine. God gave it to you because he loves you. All things that pertain to life and godliness. Living the way God wants you to. Living in a godly way. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. God has already given you what you need to live godly, to escape every temptation, to have victory over every test and trial, to live in a way where you are saved from this generation. It's already yours. It's already mine. Notice how that comes again, all things through the knowledge. So guess what? If you don't know, you won't get it. How many Christians are saved? They're going to heaven when they die, but they don't have all things that pertain to life and godliness because they don't receive what God gave them. You know what? I can give you a brand new car, but how many know you got to take the keys? You got to drive it off the lot. You gotta do something with it. What are you doing with what God gave you? It's yours, but have you laid claim to it yet? It keeps going. Through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. If all that wasn't good enough, he called you 
to glory and virtue. That word call means he invited you. You've been invited by God to glory and virtue. It's an invitation. Just because someone invites you to somewhere doesn't mean you have to accept the invitation. Some of you are very creative of how to get out of some invitations. You got creative ways to say no. You don't want to say no, but you got creative ways to get out of that invitation. Some of you, you get your spouse in on it. Oh, you know what? My wife, my husband, no, they, they got something else to do. Your wife and husband had no clue, but you put them, oh, they're the reason why. Oh, no, my child needs me. Come on, say something. See, you need me. Oh, my child leaves me. Oh, the baby crying. Gotta go. We have some creative ways to get out of invitations. Just make sure you don't use your creative ways on God. Who's invited you to glory and virtue. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. That by these, what promises? You may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption, the destruction, the decay the ruin that is in the world through lust. Partakers of the divine nature. And what is divine nature? The nature of God himself. That by the promises of God, you're able to partake of the nature of God. Say, by the promises of God, I am able to partake of the nature of God. Let's say it again. Let's put it in the chat. Say, by the promises of God, I am able to partake of the nature of God. Think about it this way. It's summertime. You can get invited to a barbecue with all your favorite barbecue foods, the ones you should eat and the ones you know you're not supposed to eat. The table is full. There's chicken and there's ribs. There's all this wonderful stuff that you're going to have to work out later in the week. There's some fruit, too, somewhere. And there's some lemonade and some punch, some Kool-Aid, not the stuff that has been, you know, not where they skimp the sugar, but when they just kind of pour it in and let feel witness on the inside when they stop. Just let it keep pouring in. But, you know, you can go to a barbecue like that. I'm sure there's a salad somewhere, too, somewhere to help the rest of the food go down. But you can sit at a table like that and still be hungry. Everybody around you can dig in and you still be hungry. You can actually sit at that table and starve. Because if you don't eat, or in other words, if you don't partake of the table, it won't benefit you. All these things are put in front of you. But if you don't partake of it, you won't get the benefit of it. If you don't partake of the divine nature on a regular basis, you won't get the benefit of it. So that means you got to partake of it more than just on Sunday. And shout out to all of you who are here on Sunday and watching online on Sunday, because it's the particular Sunday you decided to show up or watch. That's another message. But how many know you got to partake more than once a week or once a month or once every six weeks or once ever, however often you partake? Because think about it this way. What if you only ate once a week? Some say, Pastor, that ain't going to happen. I know I got a lot of foodies in this church. I already get it. I got it. But imagine how weak your physical body would be. 
even more if it was once every couple weeks. You're not going to live free of the perverse generation if you only partake once every once in a while. It has to be a daily partaking. And how do you partake? By the promises of God. That's why we read the promises of God, study the promises of God, preach the promises of God, and quote or confess the promises of God. Because by them, we partake of the divine nature and we can live free of the corruption that is in this world system and the world's culture. So that means when a situation comes your way, a challenge comes your way that's threatening your life or your ability to live godly, you need to know what the scripture says about that. You need to respond to challenges the same way Jesus did when he was tempted of the devil. Now remember the word tempt. It's not a temptation if it doesn't affect you. It's a temptation if it's something you would want to do. It's not a sin to be tempted. The only sin is if you give in to the temptation. So temptation is everywhere. Challenges and trials are everywhere. But are you responding by the promises of God? Do you even know what the promise is for the situation you're in. Because remember we said, if you don't know, you ain't going to get it. That's why we made your own teaching here, because there's some stuff you got to know. Because you know how easy it is to go the way of the world? Do you know what you have to do to go the way of the world? Just do nothing. You'll be in the way of the world. Just like that. And so it takes some effort on your part to live free of the way the world does things. That means daily, you gotta stand on the promises of God. Daily, you gotta remind yourself of the promises of God. Daily, you gotta speak the promises of God. Because if not, you'll fall into the destruction and the corruption and the decay and the ruin that's in this world. By the promises, you can partake of the divine nature. And by this knowing him and knowing what he's offered you, Grace and peace can be multiplied to you, which is more than enough to handle whatever situation or challenge you go through. Go with me to Philippians chapter 2. Is this helping anybody so far? Philippians chapter 2. Look what the Apostle Paul has to say about it. Philippians chapter 2. I'm starting verse 13. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. That means God lives on the inside of you by the person of the Holy Spirit to help you want to do what's right and to do what is right. Because some of us do what's right, but let's be honest, we don't want to. But the scripture also tells in the Old Testament is the willing and the obedience who eat the good of the land. Some of you have been obedient and so, say, well, where's the good? You got to be willing 
and obedient. Come on, every parent knows when the child is just obedient versus willing in obedience. Your heavenly father knows when you're just obedient or willing and obedient. But the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you to help you want to do what is right. So do you know what you should do? Ask him to help you to want to. You need to say, God, help my want to. Look, let's be honest. You already know, and I already know, that I need your help to want to not slap that person. I need your help to not do this or go there. See, see, y'all just looking straight at me, so I'm going to you single people for a second. You need his help not to sleep around. Now y'all can be really quiet. And his help doesn't come just because you pray in tongues because you're at that person's house way too long. His help comes because he tells you, don't go there. It is way too late for you to go out. Who you ever tell you there's only one thing open right now and you know it's not where you're supposed to be? His help comes through wisdom and guidance and protection saying, keep your tail home. He'll even tell you, put down your phone. You didn't be looking at that Instagram page. He will help you, but you have to let him help you. Then this next verse, such a wonderful, beautiful verse. Do all things. What things? What things? It says all things, right? Anybody can see it says all things? If you can see all things, come put it in the chat. Say, I see it. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Ooh, that's such a word. Something, no one shouted off that word. No one felt quickened off of that word. It's like, oh, I felt something. No. Do all things without complaining and disputing. Let's give some good definitions for this word. Complaining. It's also translated murmuring which is defined as a secret debate among people. A secret debate among people. So it's never out in public, it's in whispers. Well, I don't know why they did that. I don't know why they wore that. So I would never say that, let's get spiritual. I don't know why pastor made that decision. I don't know why pastor said that. I don't know why pastor put them in the pulpit. I don't know why pastor has them out in the parking lot. This is not just on visitors. Longtime members, leaders, staff. I'm coming after all y'all today. Do all things without secret debates. All things without murmuring. Do you know what happens? Do you remember what happened in the Old Testament when they were murmured after they were freed from Egypt? They would murmur, which means they came to a stop. They were heading to the promised land, but because they murmured, they stopped going. What is your mouth keeping you from? 
we're in the New Testament. We would never do that. Oh, yes, you would all day long. You know, when you read First and Second Thessalonians, one of the things Paul kept saying is, get a job and stop gossiping. Because a lot of them quit their jobs because they thought Jesus was coming back very soon. And he says, go get a job because y'all been staying home and gossiping, going over each other's house, spreading news. Oh, we should pray for so-and-so. Why? Well, did you hear? It ain't prayer. It's gossip. Do all things without secret debates. Murmuring. Complaining. It's also translated as grumbling and bickering. Do all things without grumbling. Do all things without bickering. Now let's look at the word disputing since you guys love the word complaining so much. That word disputing means inward doubting opinions. It means second guessing. Do everything without second guessing Jesus. Now it's not just because everybody has doubts. Everybody will have doubt from time to time as you live this faith life. It's not saying you'll never have doubt. It means you actually deal with the doubt. Because here's what happens. If you don't deal with it, you're on the inside, you're second guess, and all these opinions go back and forth, be in faith one moment, out of faith the other, and never deal with it, and will never go forward. But here's what you do. When you have doubt, you address the doubt. Remember, it's he who lives in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Sir, I'm having a doubt about this right now. What scripture do I need to see? What direction do you have for me? Who do I need to sit down and talk with so I can deal with this doubt? Notice the mature answer to doubt is to get in the word more. Because immature reactions to doubt is to de deconstruct what you believe. The mature answer to doubt is to identify the doubt and see what the Word of God actually has to say about it. To see what really needs to be done. Get the leading of the Spirit. Sit down with spiritual counsel. Not just live in doubt all your days. And second guess what God has called you to do. If you always second guess what God has called you to do, you'll never go forward. Here's what another translation says it this way. Be glad you can do the things you should be doing. Do all things without arguing and talking about how you wish you did not have to do them. That's just so powerful. Let's read that again. <laughs> be glad you can do the things you should be doing. Do all things without arguing and talking about how you wish you did not have to do them. Let's get to the next verse. We could, you know, preach a whole revival in verse 14, a whole convention, whole conference, 12-part series. But let's go to verse 15. That you may become blameless, which means irreproachable, and harmless. That word harmless means pure. Children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked. We looked at the word before in Acts. That means perverse, warped, marked by trouble and unhappiness, unjust. And perverse. This word perverse means distorted and twisted. Generation. So if you really want to live free and be saved and escape the culture while you can and escape the perverse, distorted generation, do all things without complaining and disputing. This lets you know the world is full of complainers. Is you one of them? Come on, we complain about things God has blessed us with. 
You pray for a new job, and now you complain that you had to wake up early and go. You prayed for kids, now you complain that you got to feed them. Don't let your blessing become a burden. <laughs> I feel like Bishop said, good preaching, good preaching, good preaching. There you go. <laughs> Among whom you shine as lights in the world. This word for lights the same way they would use stars. You shine like stars. You burn like stars in the mist of the darkness of this generation. And the way you do it is by partaking daily of his nature by standing on the promises of God, by having grace and peace being multiplied to you and doing all things without complaining and disputing. That's how you shine. That means there's really a different way we should be living. That we have to remember we are in the world, but not of the world. There's a problem when the church looks just like the world. I'm not talking about outfits. I'm not talking about makeup. I'm not talking about hair and weaves and length of hair and all the other stuff. I ain't talking about that. I'm not talking about earrings or tattoos. I ain't talking about none of that. I'm talking about lifestyle. I'm talking about the words of your mouth. When Christians' vocabulary is just as vulgar as those in the world, there's a problem. When Christians' morals are just as loose as the world, there is a problem. When Christians quote their political platform more than they quote the Bible, there is a problem. And I'm talking both to you elephants and donkeys. That you sound more like a political pundit than a Christian. There's a problem. Because if you're doing that, you're not living free of the world. You're not escaping the corruption that's in the world. You're living just like the world. And guess what happens when you live just like the world? You get the world's results. So well, I'm an American, I can do what I wanna do and you can get the reward of that too. There's a different way we've been called to live. It's a higher way of living. It's a way of living that tells our flesh no. You can't just do everything because you want to do it. Because, you know why? That will kill you. Just because you want apple pie every day at 2 a.m. does not mean you need to eat apple pie every day at 2 a.m. That is not leading you down the healthy path. Your body has a tendency to want things that will kill you. And see, sin is so deceptive and so deceitful, it doesn't start out as big, huge things. It starts a little bit small. A little weed ain't going to hurt you. Just a little bit. Come on. It ain't going to hurt you. It's okay. And before you know it, you're on meth. Because the weed is the gateway drug to the rest. That's how sin starts, just a little bit. Because the thing about sin, even Hebrew says, sin is fun for a little while. Oh, pastor, sin ain't fun, please. Sin is fun for a little bit. 
It's fun until it catches up with you. Because sin always makes you pay a price bigger than you wanted to pay, makes you stay longer than you wanted to stay, and hurts you more than you ever thought was possible. That's what sin does. The scripture says the wages of sin is death. It's not always immediate, but it will show up. Galatians 6, if you sow to the flesh, of the flesh you will reap corruption. It didn't say nothing about God doing nothing to you. You did it. Save yourselves from this generation. Save yourself from the way this generation lives. Get out of the sick and stupid culture while you still can. And to do that, we have to change the way we think. We have to do what Romans 12 says. Let's go there, Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12. Look at verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Remember the audience this was written to. This was written to believers who lived in Rome. And in the ancient world, everybody was familiar with sacrifices. Not just Jews. Everybody, because everybody was sacrificing to some type of deity. They knew the temples. There are temples everywhere where they would take an animal and leave it at the altar. It would be presented. Now the thing is, whether you were at the temple in Jerusalem or any of the false temples throughout the world, any of the priests would have side-eyed you if you came and made a sacrifice, put it on the altar, and took it back home. You would have. Because the understanding is, if you make a sacrifice, you leave it at the altar. And what does Paul says? You present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable, pleasing to God. It's your worship service. It's your reasonable service. Also, by implication, keep your tail on the altar. Because some of us present ourselves on Sunday, but take ourselves off on Monday. Or Sunday afternoon by 2 p.m., whoever knows. Keep yourself on the altar. Say, I need to keep myself on the altar. That's a mindset. That's remember what the scripture says, that you are not your own. It's my body, I can do what I want to do. I thought you were saved. You sound too much like the world. It's my body, I can do what I want. Well, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you said, Jesus, you are my Lord. You are my supreme authority. If that's the case, you are not your own, as the scripture says. You are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your spot body and in your spirit, which belong to God. 
keep yourself on the altar. Because the world will tell you, take yourself off, and it's okay. But guess what? The world is not going to be there when you run into the wages of sin. Because if they are there, they'll tell you, keep on sinning. It's your truth. Live your truth. You live your truth, you can run into the end of the road and have a surprise. Da, 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 da. Death. Keep yourself on the altar. Why? Because God loves you. The altar is the safe place. The altar is the secret place. The altar is under the shadow of El Shaddai. The God who is more than enough, has more than enough power to protect you and provide for you. The altar is the safe place. The altar is in the midst of the sanctuary. And it's not just staying in these four walls. It's how you live understanding that you are the temple of God, that God himself lives on the inside of you. And do you know what happened to sacrifice offered in faith in the Old Testament? They always had a heavenly response. We know of some of the most powerful ones when fire fell down in the temple. Fire fell down when Elijah called for fire. There's always a heavenly response. And if you would dare, just dare to live for God and keep your life on the altar and live the way God wants you to live and actually save yourself from this generation, the fire of God, the power of God, the glory of God, the anointing of God, the grace of God would help you wherever you go. Always a response to sacrifice offered in faith. Keep yourself on the altar. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world. Say, be not conformed to this world. One more time. Say, be not conformed to this world. The Amplified Classic says, do not be conformed to this world, this age, fashioned after and adapted to its external superficial customs. New Living Translation says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The message version says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Do not be conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. Transformed. Anybody remember the old cartoon now as a movie series, The Transformers? How they were one thing and now they're transformed into something else? He says, don't think like them, don't live like them, but be transformed. Do you know what's so interesting about this word? This word transform is also used in another time in the Gospels. It's just not saying transformed, it says transfigured. It's the same way that describes Jesus on the mount when he was transformed with the glory of God. And all of a sudden, he looked like the rest of us, and all of a sudden, he began to shine. His clothes changed. The glory of God began to emanate from him. And then eventually, the glory cloud surrounded them. Same word. How do you experience transformation? By the renewing or the renovation of your mind. Now, you don't just renew your mind once. It would be great if we could do it once. But
but that's not the way this life works. It is continual. Why? Because you always have other thoughts, other opinions bombarding your mind. So you have to continually renew and renovate your mind. Take out the old, take out the trash, take out the drama, and replace it with the Word of God. Because that's how you live transformed. And that's how you prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Could it be that you're missing out God's plan for your life because you haven't renewed your mind? And that you think it has to be this way, but God's telling you to go that way, and it's all because you haven't renewed your mind yet? You have to renew your mind to live the supernatural life. Go with me to 1 John chapter 1 as we begin to close. First John, chapter 1. You have to renew your mind. You have to present your body as a living sacrifice. You do all things without murmuring and disputing. You daily stand on the promises of God. You daily partake of the nature of God. This is how you live free of the corruption and the result of the way the world lives. Because if you don't, you'll fall in with the world and get the way, get what the world gets. And it's not because God is mad at them. It's just because, as Pastor Kurt told you in the offering, it's the seed that you sow. You know, I've said this before. I like uncooked vegetables, but I really can't stand cooked vegetables. And the vegetable I hate the most with almost every fiber of my being, if there's not a fiber that doesn't hate it, I'm not aware of it, but I would say just rounding up all the fibers of my being, is green beans. I despise green beans with a great passion. The last time I had them, I was six years old. Now, if I go outside and plant green bean seeds and water green bean seeds, and cultivate those seeds, guess what plant I'm gonna get? Green beans. Even though I hate it. I can't say, oh, God doesn't like me. He gave me green beans. Oh, I guess God doesn't bless anymore because look, I got green beans. I guess that's God's will for my life, green beans. No! I planted it, I watered it, I cultivated it, and now I'm harvesting it. You can have stuff in your life that you hate, but it's because you sold for it, you watered it, and you cultivated it. Well, I don't like toxic people. Well, is you one? You took something you encountered, you nursed it, you rehearsed it, and guess what? It's there. Scripture, 1 John, 1 John, chapter 1. But if we walk in the light, or if we live in the light, because remember, you are a light in this world. You are the light of the world, as Jesus said. Or as Paul used a phrase, as stars in this world. But if you walk in the light, if you live in the light, as he is in the light. Now, would it be a challenge enough if he said, if you walk in the light as Jesus did when he was on the earth, as Jesus of Nazareth did, as he walked in the earth before his crucifixion, his resurrection, his ascension. That's a big enough challenge. Walk in the light like he did it back then? Woo! But that's not what the scripture says. 
walk in the light as he is currently, presently in the light. Well, where is he? At the right hand of the Father, exalted, glorified with all the glory that there is. You live in the light like he's in the light right now. And it talks about the light where he is right now, how it shines from his face and it lights heaven. It lights the city of New Jerusalem. And I was like, well, that's a lot of light to light a city. But no, no, no. That city is so huge that if you take that four square city, that city alone will cover North America. And the light of his face alone lights it. You walk in the light like he's in the light right now. That's what the scripture says. You have fellowship with one another. What does that word fellowship? It means partnership. It's community. It's communion. It's friendship. And the blood of Jesus Christ's son cleanses us from all sin. And when you look at the verse earlier, it's talking about that our fellowship, our partnership is truly with God. You can have intimate friendship with God. But also says you'll have intimate friendship and community with one another. Now, let's think about it this way. You can look just at me so you know you're not thinking about anybody. Just look forward. Everybody knows I'm not talking to you, but your neighbor just looks right at me. Remember what Jesus told his disciples, his apostles, right before he left them, before he went to the Garden of Gethsemane, before he was tortured, before he was crucified, before he died, before God raised him from the dead? Remember when the last thing he said, though? He says, another commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you, right? Didn't he say that? Now, when we think about how Jesus loves us, we think about his torture. We think about his death. We think about his descent. We think about his resurrection. We think about his ascent. We think about him pouring out the Holy Ghost, right? That's how we think about how Jesus loves us, right? But to those who originally heard it, that hadn't happened yet. That was hours and days away. When Jesus told the 11 in that room because Judas had left by this point and whoever else was with them. You love one another just like I loved you. Each person in that room could think over the last three plus years of ways Jesus specifically loved them. Specific examples, not general examples, specific examples. Think about Matthew. Let's say, what if he personalized it? Matthew? I want you to love others just like I loved you. Matthew, you remember when I met you? Yeah, Jesus. I remember. I was a tax collector. All my people called me a traitor. But you still loved me. And you still invited me to follow you. Think about Peter. Someone who always put his foot in his mouth. Always. He was bold and God used him. But Peter, the way I loved you, you love others. Simon the Zealot. So, well, what is a Zealot? It was a political party. He was political as all you can get. Simon, you love others the same way I loved you. Each person in that room had a personal example of how Jesus loved them past their own foolishness, how Jesus loved them past their own mistakes. And he knows that you love others. He's not even talking about the rest of the world, even though we know that's included. You love these people in this room the way I love you. Because when you read through the Gospels, we like to read through the Gospels, like, oh, these people didn't exist. No, these are people. Look at the Gospels, how many times Jesus had to stop them from fighting. 
Not with the outside world, with each other. They debate with each other. They're fighting with each other. We're not just talking about the new disciples, the young disciples, the apostles, the leaders he chose. They are getting to fight one another, and Jesus got to calm them now. You love one another the way I love you. Do you know what's so interesting? Because that's still the command of the church. Because he even says in John 17 that they'll know that you belong to me because how you love one another. Not even just love the world, but how you love one another. They know that you belong to me. Why is that so interesting? Because a lot of times in church, people don't always come from the same background or the same lifestyles, the same culture. Everybody is different. There's some people in this room you would never hang out with that you would never even sit close to because the only thing you have in common is you love Jesus. Think about it. You can go to church with someone, if it wasn't for Jesus, they'd be your enemy. And Jesus said, love them the way I love you. It's deeper than whatever you let it go. You love past the differences. You love past the disagreements. We can disagree, but we don't dishonor. You love past, and that love stops the complaining. It stops the murmuring. It stops the backbiting. It stops the gossiping. Because you have to think, Jesus wouldn't do that to me. He didn't do that to me. So why would I do that to them? It's the love of God. It's actually loving others the exact same way Jesus loved us. It's forgiving others the same way Jesus forgave us. You know, the King James says this way, bear with one another. We would say in a modern day, put up with each other. Why? Because somebody has to put up with you. That's how you build a community that people want to join before they even believe. They can come say, I don't even know about that God stuff, but the way these people treat each other, I just want to be a part. With all the corruption, destruction, and bitterness, and anger, and political rhetoric in the world, when I come to the church, I, I don't feel that. I feel love. I experience love. And guess what? There are people who will come. They'll be here for a long time. They may not believe, and they may still be in sin, but they stay here long enough, they'll leave that lifestyle. And before the word got to them, your love did. Because you fulfilled the command of Jesus. Love each other the way I love you. That's how you escape the corruption that's in this world. It's by the way you walk or live in love. The scripture says that God put his love in your heart, and that love enables you to love others. It enables you to be patient with people, even longer than you want to be. Because think about how patient Jesus has been with you. And what happens is some of us, as we get older, it's like, well, I don't know why they're not learning quicker. Well, how quick did you learn? You have the benefit of saying this decades later 
but it took you more than half that time to learn. So be patient with each other. Why? Because you love each other the way Jesus loves you. See, this love, it tells us, fuels your faith and makes your faith efficient and makes your faith effective. It's how you access the power of God. See, revival doesn't come because of an election. You know, I still remember years ago, the Holy Ghost said in a meeting, one thing will save in America. It's not an election. It's an awakening to God. It's not a political party, the left nor the right. It's an awakening to God. And where does the awakening come from? Within you. Because you actually love others the way Jesus loves you. You can love others and not believe what they do is right. You can love others and not confirm their sin. You can love others and not compromise. You just love. Well, I got to tell them how, about how they're living. Why? Well, the Bible says true, but the Bible also says the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. And the Bible also, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, Jesus said, I only say what I hear my father say, and I do what I see him do. So before you go tell people what you know, does Jesus want you to tell them that? Well, I only got one shot to talk to them. Well, ask him, sir, what should I tell them? That's the love of God in action. That's why our visions take not an awakening that impacts Georgia and influences the world by the power of the love of Jesus. That's what brings lasting change and transformation. That's how we affect our community. That's how we make a difference. And because I know I'm gonna have to reach people who are not like me or believe like me or think like me, I make sure I guard what I say. I told this to someone recently, I said, look, how can I demonize somebody I want to reach? Because why would they listen to me if all day long I talk about how horrible they are? That's why I'm very cautious about what political statements I make and what party I talk about. Because you're supposed to pray for both, no matter what. You pray for whoever's in office, no matter if you voted for them or not. Your responsibility, according to the scripture, is pray. And not pray that God zaps them. <laughs> but pray that God gives them wisdom. That God protects them. That God keeps them healthy. That God sends the right people across their path. That God gives them wise counsel. That's what you pray. I told this someone recently, actually a number of people, I said, how would I ever expect to advise people in office if I talk bad about them throughout the whole campaign, I wouldn't be the person they call. Also, that's why I'm very cautious at what political things I actually show up to. I've been invited a few of them. I'm like, yep, not going. That's a photo op. 
It's like, oh, pastor doesn't have any political opinions. No, I have a lot of political opinions. I do, but I don't preach them. I'm going to preach the word, not political opinions. It's like, oh, he's not that political. I, want, I had the opportunity to work for a United States senator on day one of my graduation. Day one. But that's not what God called me to do. And so sometimes we react to stuff. And that deals with the short term, but not the long plan. Because what if your reaction cost you your future, but medicated your today? We have to rethink how we do things. So we're not flashes in the pan, but we're here from the long haul. So God can use us to reach more people. That's what it's about. That we love one another past political differences. We love one another past cultural differences. We love one another past economic differences. We love one another past racial differences. We love one another past nationality differences. Because I choose the word before I choose a political party. Because the political party won't save me. That's why I'm telling you, escape this culture, escape this outrage culture. You will always be outraged by something if you don't escape the culture. There will always be a political cause for you to be outraged. They'll both say the same thing, same size. Well, if you don't vote for me, they're going to hurt you and take away everything you got. They both say the same thing. And even if they won the election, guess what? Give it a couple days. Give another $25 so we stay in office. You just won. What is this? Fear raises money. And guess what? You're afraid, and then you get mad at your neighbor. You get mad at the person down your row, and you stay mad. You stay outraged, and they stay in power. And because of your fear and your anger, you now have holes in your stomach. And because you're in fear and bitterness, your prayers aren't working because you've fed more on politics than the word of God. I know what season we're entering in. I know what state we're in. I know the whole nation will be here within a month or two. Everybody watching all the elections we have going on this year. So I'm telling you in advance, don't get caught up. Yes, pray. Yes, vote. Yes, do all those things. But don't get caught up. Remember who you are. And you commit now, no matter who wins, you pray. Remember who you are. Remember what's available to you. And as Peter said long ago, save yourself from this perverse generation. Stand to your feet. Oh, sir, you said so many things to us today. He was like, why are you pulsing? I sense him standing right here. So I will stand and wait for my orders. 
You see, I have more for you than the other ways would offer you in this world. The world will offer you this, and the world will offer you that. And I promise you, if you do this, you'll have this. And if you do this, you'll have that. But understand, that way of living is fleeting. It's here today and gone tomorrow. That way of living is living on a slippery soap, always climbing to get to the top, but you can never stay because that lifestyle is not permanent. But what I offer to you is a way to escape this way of living, to live above all your days upon this earth and live eternally with men, to experience the quality of eternal life before you even enter into the gates of heaven. That's what I offer you today, and that's what's available to you today. But you must make a decision to receive it. You must make a decision to walk in it, and not just on days when you feel it, but on every day that you make walking it, living it, talking it your habit, because that habit will build your future. That habit will build your mindset, because I will use you to do so much more, more things than you can imagine if you stick with me, if you choose my way over other ways, if you choose to love, if you choose to stay on the altar, if you choose to follow my plan and my path. I'll use you to do things that are so wonderful, so marvelous. If I would describe it to you right now, your mouth would hang open. That's what I have for you. That's what I've invited you to but you must walk with me. I need my body to walk with me. I need my army to walk with me. Arranging themselves for battle, not battling by the tactics of this world, but waging war by what I've given you and making a commitment to love, making a commitment to follow after the plan making a commitment to go after my will, the will of God, what I have for you, no matter what it takes. And if you do that, you'll see wonders more marvelous than you could even utter in your natural language today, says the Lord of the church. Amen. I believe today's message encourages you, it strengthens you, it's helping you to live the lifestyle of faith. If you're ever in the metro Atlanta area, we'd love for you to worship with us in person. You can find information about our different locations at fccga.com. Also, we have so many different ways where you can get the word. You can download our Faith Plus app. You could also visit us on our social media pages, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Facebook on YouTube. We love for you to connect with us. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts as well as on Spotify. We have two. One is called the Faith Podcast and then we have our daily devotional podcast which is called Faith in the Morning. I look forward to seeing you on many different social media platforms and in person at Faith Christian Center. Thank you so much for tuning in and remember something good is going to happen to you today so expect miracles. God bless.